I think a lot of people think about engineers in terms of like they're mechanical. They want to just, you know, get their coding done and, and feel like they're building something cool. Um, but they do want to know why does my work matter? What is it doing in the bigger picture? When they do know that, all of a sudden you open up a whole another set of brains who can contribute to ideas on, well, if you think of just product management as kind of the guardian of the customer, they'll just tell everyone what we're trying to do. I think everyone should understand what the customer need is. And so that's the heart. That's understanding why you're doing the work that you're doing. Hey, everyone, and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product-Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tiama Hanson-Drury, Chief Product Officer at Mina Technologies and all-around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product, and we'll be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of products, as well as visionary founders and investors getting their inside stories. Enjoy! Thank you, everyone, for dialing in for another episode of For the Love of Product. I am exceptionally proud to have with us today Adam Dilley, who is the Senior Vice President of Product and Engineering at Quantum Metric. Uh, a little bit about Adam, and you're going to hear about this today, but he is brings a traditional engineering background, but has always been the type of engineer who he describes as saying, wasn't happy with simply being told what to build and then deciding how to build it. He really wanted to know who they were building it for, why they they needed it. And of course, these are all things that are the ethos of product. So he ended up in a path towards a product, and he's going to tell us a lot about kind of that journey today. Um, but more is what he's doing today at Quantum Metric, uh, where he gets to kind of combine the product and the engineering into this perfect place um, that really allows him to thrive. And also helps their users to thrive. So we'll hear a little bit more about quantum, but one of the things that Adam says is you're really not just taking the what at base value, you're instead really seeking an answer to why it matters. And that is a great jumping off point to hear from you directly, Adam, um, a little bit about how you're doing today, and then let's jump into quantum. I'm doing great. Thanks for the invite, Tiana. Great to be with you and the, the listeners. Absolutely. And where are you uh, zooming in from today, Adam? So I'm zooming from beautiful Colorado Springs. It is, uh, I'm staring at the mountains right now out, out my window. It's just a great place to be right now. Perfect weather and love summertime here. Ah, oh, that sounds amazing. That sounds yeah, lovely. Yeah. So tell me um, tell a little bit about, you know, you and Quantum. Uh, how long have you been there? And um, how, how soon did you know that it was this perfect place for you? <laughs> I joined. Uh, I joined when we were ten people back in mid 2017. Uh, this is the. It was the smallest group I'd ever been a part of during my career, um, and I have now fallen in love with that model. Uh, it's been fun to go from small to now 300 plus, um, but certainly taking that journey is something that I figured out that I love. Um, I'm a. I'm someone who loves change, so you're going to join a group like that and, and realize that every day is different from the last and something breaks every day. And, and you just have to kind of be someone who enjoys doing something new. And uh, that's exactly what it's been with quantum. It sounds awesome. And I think you said it was the first time that you went to a place that was so small. Um, mm -hmm. Where, where did you come to quantum from most recently? So um, first I ended up at, uh, Symantec Veritas early in my career. So I was, I was in the enterprise world early on, I'm back in it now, um, went through some defense contracting and then landed at a, about a hundred person affiliate marketing company. So that was, that was small for me after going from Symantec and Lockheed, but then quantum was, you know, even just a, a tiny percentage of that size. And, um, so yeah, it's been a journey through different size organizations. 
what hooked you uh, in being willing to take a bet on something so small, something so early? Uh, on this one, it was it was our founder. Um, I I'm more of like a planner, uh, a little bit maybe risk averse sometimes. And so, if I was going to hitch my wagon to a very small startup, it needed to be someone who had already seen success. And our our founder had already um, exited three startups successfully in the past. And uh, so he had a product ready to go. He had some, some good size enterprises that already signed on, even though here a 10 person company. And I just knew that was, that was something special. Like you don't, you don't have uh, that great of odds of succeeding every time you encounter a startup opportunity. So that was going to be the one for me. Absolutely. Batting three out of three is great. Was he, uh, did he have a bunch that didn't succeed in between there or is he truly a unicorn? No, that was um, that was all of them. He he went from enterprise software land. I think he um, started out in consulting with Deloitte. Went to um, HP right before he jumped out and did his own thing. And just you know, it's the classic saw problem when he was at HP that wasn't getting solved, and jumped out of it and said, "I can I can solve this on my own." And then just stamped out a pattern of success after that. So very impressive, um, and you know. A privilege to work with him all the time. Absolutely. And I'm sure he feels it's a privilege to work with you too. Um, tell me, what were you, what did he pitch you on? Why, why did he need you? What was the vision of your role coming in? So for, for him, it was uh, needing to kind of branch out a little bit more at that stage of the company and do some sales travel, mix that with what he had mostly been doing, which was build a product and sit with the engineers uh, so it was that time to kind of get out the door for him. And uh, he wanted just to kind of know that this group was sort of self-managing and owning the process. And I was at a good point in my career leading multiple teams. And um, he felt like I could, I could step into that role and, you know, it just worked out really well from there. I, my, my role kind of expanded as we went on. Great. So 2017, what was the product vision that you understood when you came in? Yeah, back then it was very much uh, geared towards what we call find and fix. So the idea of quantum, at least from the very beginning, was you build a digital product, whether it be a native app or a website, you throw it out there and it's kind of this black box of what's happening. How are people interacting with it? Is it doing the things that I built it to do? And and maybe you get some surfacey analytics metrics out of it, but you don't know why aren't they what I expected them to be? Why is my conversion rate lower than it should be? And so you just have this mystery of maybe we should go try all these different things to fix it. Quantum has always uh, kind of given you insight into that black box. It does it through multiple ways. One is session replay, which helps you get that individual user uh, kind of picture of the journey, but marrying that with analytics data in some really creative ways. So uh, we talk about like the macro to micro and micro to macro. The macro to micro is I have this big analytics insight, like my conversion rate is down. Um, I want to take that to a segment of users who didn't convert. And then I want to look at the micro and look at these people who aren't converting and see how are they acting when that happens. The other direction is maybe I hear about a problem in the product. I look up that specific session and I can see that user encounter that problem or that struggle. But then I want to open it up and say, is this something that's affecting a large percentage of our traffic and something that we should really spend our time on? So then I can jump from that session to an insight that says, you know, 25% of your users are having the same problem and it's dropping your conversion by this much. And that kind of picture into your experience 
is a lot of people don't know that this kind of product exists and they see it for the first time. It's just this like aha moment or like, how can I get a hold of that? You know? Absolutely. I'm sure you've got lots of listeners right now thinking, okay, that sounds interesting. I mean, do you, do you kind of classify your guys' selves as like analytics and user experience tool or is it beyond that? Would you say? We, so I, I explained kind of what we were early on and um, that is definitely, you know, customer experience analytics maybe fits into that. It fits into that category. Um, as we've gone on, like, like most good product insights uh, or, um, you know, product developments, we've had our customers tell us, uh, you know, we thought we were buying you for this, for the CX analytics use case. And all of a sudden, this is what you did for our organization. And one of those common recurring themes was you have this really wide data set and you've built a product that can look at it from a bunch of different directions. We realized over time that you were actually kind of uniting multiple different roles and different teams across the company, all the way from you know, early product ideation all the way through marketing roles um, around a single data set. So they stopped arguing about, you know, I have Google Analytics and I have, um, you know, an IT focused product and they're not agreeing. They started uh, having the ability to agree on the numbers because it's one system, but then looking at it through the lens of what matters in their role. And so we've kind of um, expanded to this, this idea of a process called continuous product design um, that really expands the old idea of DevOps out to product teams and customer focused teams. And now it takes that idea that customers told us about and it makes it more official. Like this is a process you can go through to be centered around the customer across multiple teams, agreeing on the same things that are important to work on instead of just this very um, IT or engineering focused DevOps process that has worked in for years within just a couple teams, you know. Absolutely. Okay. So if 2017 was find and fix, 2021 is continuous product design. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So this is part, um, I always love digging into this because I love understanding the ways that you have those conversations with your customers. Um, so, you know, tell us a little bit of the story of that journey, right? Like how, how linear was it? How uh, many bends did you guys go around in that four year period? Um, talk to us about that. Yeah, I think, I think we, try to kind of, um, we heard that message for the first time from customers and started hearing it more often. And we took it a little bit more unofficially for a while and said, well, let's just kind of build some features into the product. So we did things like teaming in the product where you could create a team and they can kind of segment down the data, they can segment down the features in the product. And so you could create product versus IT, for instance, and have those teams be focused on the things that matter to them. And then we finally decided this is worth actually creating materials around and creating kind of an education process that teaches our customers how they can basically like climb this maturity curve of continuous product design and do things differently in their organization. And the places along the way, of course, that quantum can help them to enable that process. Um, and so we built, we went from that unofficial, let's just build some features to make it easier for them to do that to let's build a website that helps them get certified in that process. And Let's build the materials so that they know, uh, you know, how to mature their organization, you know, based on what role they they have. And so it's gone from, uh, you know, no CPD at all to learning that that's the thing that our product can help with to making it very official. And you know, we'd love for this to be a, a category eventually. 
And how did you, uh, do you guys eat your own dog food in some ways? Like, do you, do you put your own product through quantum? Like, or I'm curious, like. Yeah. Product product at quantum is, is the most like meta thing I've been involved in, in my career, because you're, you're building a product for people who are building a product, you know, and you're, you're looking for insights in your own product that help you to build a better product that helps people to find insights in their own product, you know? So we're like this, this layer on top of what we're trying to do for our customers. We definitely run quantum on quantum. Um, we call it pivot is the the name of our own subscription internally that kind of looks at all of our, our customer subscriptions and allows us to see where maybe they're not having the best experience in quantum and we can improve our own product as a result. I just have to give you guys props for that. I can tell you, I talk to people so often about eating their own dog food and it's very rare that I actually hear that they've done their own installment or their own uh, environment of their own product. Right. Um, And are actually branded it internally and are um, using it. I think it's, it's pretty inspirational for people. Yep. Good. Yeah. It's, I mean, especially in, in the engineering side of the org, it's not always a natural thing, but I would love to have our engineers using the product as often as possible. Cause when they're not, you, that's when you run into things get created that you just miss something so obvious. And if you had known how people are touching this thing every day, you would have done your work a little bit differently knowing, Oh, this is what people are trying to solve in the product. So I'm going to build it to do that. Absolutely. So because you were working with customers who were basically product um, related folks, I, how did you how did you engage with them? I imagine they were much more receptive to engaging with you to help you build a better product. Am I right in that assumption? Yeah, absolutely. Like they know that they know that we're another team trying to do what they're trying to do. We're not just a you know, we're not another vendor out there just trying to sell them something. And so they do engage product teams that our customers uh, engage with us really well because they know we follow our own process and we do use quantum once they dig in a little bit to dog food the product. And we call that drinking our own champagne uh, here instead of dog fooding, but you know, same idea, <laughs> but Much it's certainly appetizing. something. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's definitely something where we can, we can easily speak on their level. We can talk about how we have um, tried to be more iterative and, um, tried to spend more time talking to customers and obviously rope them into that process. You know, let's get you involved with our customer advisory board and our super user group. And we want to get to this place where we're building things based on a foundation of feedback and charging after problems that are are real for our customers. And um, yeah, they just, they love that. Because you know? I, I think it's genuine. It's just, we want to build the best thing going out the door based on their feedback and they can really engage with that because they're trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Was the advisory group there when you came in or is that something you created? Uh, The customer advisory board has been, um, has been around since maybe a year or two after I joined. So about half the time that I've been here Uh, and there's different, different boards that we have. You've got customer advisory board plays kind of that, exec level, um, where should the roadmap go to continue engaging our customers well. Super user group, uh, or I love sitting with the super user group because they're the ones that'll just dig really deep into one part of the product and say, you know, this should do that instead of what it does today. And uh, very honest feedback and and instead of more like high level directional strategic feedback in the customer advisory board. Yeah, I think they serve very different functions. And that's one of the things I've certainly... Um, 
heard people make mistakes on doing is they try to make the customer advisory board be the end all be all right and the decision makers on your product or uh, the executives you know approvers not who are using it and are going to have that in the trenches experience yep absolutely cool so okay um I understand kind of the progression of, you know, find and fix to continuous product design. I'm curious about you and the way you expected to approach kind of your role in building out a product organization at Quantum versus, you know, when you started versus now. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, I don't, I definitely didn't come in to Quantum uh, prepared to, you know, I'm eventually going to take on head of product responsibilities as well. Uh, but it comes from that background that you explained at the beginning of, of just always being driven by wanting to work on things that really solve a problem and, and having that be the foundation that my work is built on top of instead of just being told, you know, hey, go build this mechanical thing over there. Here's what it needs to do. Uh, it's like the difference between writing a, a user story that says, as a user, here's what I want to be able to do versus giving someone a, a story that just says, here's what you need to build. Here's what it needs to solve. Um, and I was always interested in that, the former, you know, tell me what a, a user needs to do with it. So going from doing what I needed to do initially uh, for our founder from an engineering standpoint to, uh, you know, now we have this need to really go from a product that feels like it's built by engineers uh, to a place where it's, it's hitting the mark more on customer problems when it goes out the door, it's got more polish. It's got more consistency. These are the things that building a product or can really help you um, to nail as the as the product and the organization and the customer base grows. And so that need was there. And I said, I, you know, I've got this as part of my my personality makeup. It's something that I feel like I can do really well. I also just I love being able to take a step back. Like I can turn my mind off from all the things that I understand about a product very deeply and step back into the role of. What if I saw this for the first time as one of our users? I understand who they are and how they work. Would I understand what this is for and would I understand how to solve my problem with it? And that's one of the things that I feel like is just, uh, should be intuitive about working in product is, you know, put yourself in someone else's shoes and try to drop some of the other uh, understandings that you have built in from your job. Um, and so that was just natural for me to ask for it along the way and say, you know, I'll do this for however long we need it, um, works really well with the engineering side of what I do. I'd love to see the two groups working together very cohesively and not doing this classic, like throw the things over the wall that we all hate the end result of people working in silos between product and engineering. So um, it was just a natural kind of change as time went on. Yeah, I imagine going from 10 people to 300 plus people, you guys have had quite a few different configurations. Uh, is, that a, is that a safe assumption? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's back to the everything changes every day. You need to kind of roll punches. And yeah, we've gone from let's work as one big group of, of full stack engineers with no product to let's add product, let's add UX design, let's break into front front end versus back end. Now let's reorganize the front end and put that into feature-based groups. And it's just, it's always kind of constantly changing. You try not to do it too much because you don't want to thrash people around. But when you do it out of necessity, people understand because they start to feel the pain that you're then trying to solve with kind of shifting groups around and restructuring things. 
Yeah. Any advice for any listeners who are worried about making changes because they don't want to thrash too often? Uh, yeah, I would, I would say that the avoiding the thrash ends up costing you more than, than just addressing the problem. And certainly it's a, it's a thing with um, messaging, how you talk about it with your group can help a lot. You know, when they understand, I see that you guys have these struggles and it's a pain point for you. And I'm trying to solve it with, with putting people in a better place. There's also always opportunities for growth in that process. Cause usually if you're a growing startup, then you're taking a group with a leader and t- turning it into multiple groups with multiple leaders and, and people love having that opportunity as the organization grows to step into to leadership roles, if that's what fits their personality or even step into just kind of a, a more senior individual contributor role where they can take on more responsibility as a result. How many of the, of the people that were there when you started are still on the journey with you today out of curiosity? Um, probably, probably half of that group of 10, um, is still here today. I mean, that's, that's one of those things that it is somewhat connected with change and reorganization and, um, you know, funding phases of an early startup. You see people who loved that early phase. They loved the things that come with that early phase. And as you start to, to transition, some are, change averse and they loved that um, consistency. They loved kind of getting in the groove of what what it took when that company was small and they wanna move on and find something like that again. Um, and so naturally uh, you just see kind of these seasons of the company and people either love to roll with change and they stick around or they kind of move back onto something that resembles what the company was before it grew a little bit more. Yeah. You said something earlier that now that you've done this, you, you really like it. And on PLA, we recently had the CPO summit and there was a panel that I was part of where we talked about young versus mature companies and can you excel in both? Um, and now you've worked for huge companies and small. What do you think? It, it depends on the company as well. There was someone asking me the other day, uh, we just had this discussion about uh, companies that kind of become my term for it was a dinosaur. Uh, like they grow, they slow down, they drop innovation, but you have seen some grow and maintain those things that were special about them when they were small, like the, the Googles of the world that are still experimenting and um, doing all kinds of adjacent things to their primary mode of business. That's, that's innovation and um, they still move quickly. Um, they haven't become a dinosaur. So I think it depends on how the, the leadership of that company has maintained culture. Um, you, can, you can go both directions. You can end up kind of slowing down and, and losing some of the people who loved that fast paced iterative. And you end up with more of a group that likes stability. And um, you know these things, neither one is bad. They just fit different people's personalities. So um, for me, I could, I could be at a large organization, a mature organization, as long as it still ticks some of those boxes for me of, you know, we get things into customers' hands quickly and we learn from them and we iterate and we innovate. Those are, those are all big things for me. Absolutely. So speaking about innovation, I think you guys have uh, been doing some innovation recently, right? I think there's mm-hmm. something new coming that you guys are excited about. You want to tell yes. us a bit about it? Yeah. So, so back to that idea of what we initially, that problem set we initially served when we were small, um, 
that's the find and fix kind of flow. Very valuable, still valuable today. Another thing we found along the way is that there's also the side of what we do that lets you understand your customer base, their behavior, the things that um, you're missing in your experience that allows you to kind of move the product forward. And if, if you're only ever doing that find and fix side of things in perpetuity, you're you're maintaining product quality, which is important, but you're not necessarily evolving the product and doing new things. And we want to enable both. But what we would love to do with the find and fix is automate some of that away so that our customers can focus more often on driving the product forward. And um, with, an, with bringing on a data science team, we found an opportunity to kind of automate more of that find and fix side of things. So we've been working on this product called Experience AI. And it's all about uh, if a company can tell us their metrics that indicate business success. And so if it's an e-commerce, maybe it's revenue and conversion rate and these things that they're constantly tracking, then we can do the rest to uh, kind of look at that, those metrics through the lens of thousands of different audience segments across your website using AI and ML. And when a problem pops up with one of those metrics, we can tell you which audience is actually having the problem and what other signals are changing at the same time. And so you kind of end up with this packaged picture of you've got a problem and here's a bunch of details that will lead you hopefully to a solution much faster than if we just told you your conversion rates down, good luck. You know, like go search through the product, go poke around for a while and, and try and figure out what is wrong. And so we're hoping that this kind of automates away what is a common use case for a lot of our customers, which is I'm going to jump into quantum today and see if there's any problems with our product. We want you to jump into quantum to get an insight from how customers are behaving and know that this thing kind of has your back. We also hope that it speeds up uh, iteration, knowing that we can move a little bit quicker knowing that this thing is going to pop up a red flag within minutes of us having some kind of problem within any audience on our site. Okay. It sounds super intriguing. And I bet lots of listeners think it is. Let's go through a real life example. Um, so I've got a product, it's a FinTech product, and um, I don't necessarily know all the different users who are coming in. Um, you know, I haven't done the work to tag and understand those. Can you still help me? Yes. So maybe uh, in FinTech, maybe your um, one of your metrics of business success is sign-up rate. Um, and so you're looking at how often customers are, new customers are signing up. That could be your metric. So you tell us that we want to know number of signups over number of new users, and that's a, a rate that we can track constantly. Um, now your team rolls out a new product update, and because of the nature of browser differences these days, uh, you know some, something you've done has broken uh, an interaction on that site with the Safari browser. Maybe normally um, that signup rate is a certain percentage and you've only deviated a little bit because your Safari user base maybe isn't huge. Um, but by crossing that, um, that signup rate with browser as one of the audience segments that we're looking at, we find your signup rate is down, way down on Safari versus what it was before. You get an alert that says, you know, Chrome, Firefox, and IE, they're fine, but you've dropped your signup rate drastically on Safari. Here's when it started. And here's this console error that also ticked up at the same time in the browser on Safari when this uh, signup rate dropped. And so that's that would tell you a whole bunch of clues to get you to the time frame and audience. And so you'd go to your engineering team and say, is there anything we did at noon today that could have caused Safari to start having a problem with signup rate? 
Exactly. That's, that's what we're looking to give you, right? Exactly. And even with that, I mean, to go back to my point, because I'm thinking, you know, not everybody has done the hard work to segment their customers and understand their users, but that's something that's just data that you can track automatically, right? OS or device or browser. Um, So those are examples of groups that just are kind of automatically recognized within quantum without you having to kind of tag and define segments. Is that right? Yeah, those are the, we call them out of the box dimensions that we're tracking for everyone. Great. Great. And then on top of that, you could, you can get more customized and say, you know, we have, um, there's some certain way we want to categorize customers. Sign up rate. I'm, I'm trying to think of a good example because loyalty is always a good, a good example to use of like customized categorization of customers. We have loyalty levels of customers. You could break them down that way and say, I have a special way that I want you to look at my audiences by this loyalty level and then tell me if I do something that lowers one of my metrics against that, one of those groups of loyalty customers. So that's the way you can take something beyond the out of the box things that we track and, and kind of add more metadata to help us break things down. For those who have never used a tool like this, how, how competitive or how disruptive is this? It's for, for most of our, prospects there's some part of what we do that is just like a a shocking moment to them that they don't know exists a lot of times it's session replays people still don't know there's products out there that can allow you to see the experience um and and you know sometimes their first thought is that's like that's a little creepy i didn't know that there was something out there like this but we've done a lot of work um to do things like take out pii to do end-to-end encryption um we we really believe that like creating a better experience, you don't, you hardly ever need to know who the user is. You need to know about aggregate groups of customers and how they're struggling or how they're not struggling and having a, a good experience, but you don't need to gather personal information. You don't need to do the, you know, cross session cookie stitching that the third party advertising um, agencies are doing that sort of thing. So those changes haven't really affected our business too much uh, because we're just in the business of, create a better experience by understanding groups of customers and how they act. Not the fact that this is Tiama's session right. on Lululemon right now, you know, like it's right. not about who it is and it's about what they're doing and what they're experiencing. Absolutely. Although, uh, and we don't want to go down to the you know, personal data rabbit hole for this, but I'm curious, you know, how does a regulated um, product, you know, does it, is it more challenging for a regulated product to use quantum? Like, do you find that that's harder for, you know, companies in those, in those spaces to adopt a tool like quantum or no? The, the, we run sometimes into more objections from your, you know, your fintech customers, banking, um, that sort of thing. But they're, they're almost always around where and how do you store the data? And um, these days, those, those industries are already moving towards the cloud anyway. So the objections about storing data in the cloud are going away because those customers are already making the shift themselves. They, they've come to the realization that whether it's my secure data center or Google's secure data center, it's in a data center somewhere. And if I can have the assurances of how that data is protected, we're fine. So those are going away. Um, Things like GDPR, certainly geographically, um, you have more concerns over uh, privacy starting in the EU a couple of years back. Um, We just tried to get ahead of that one and make sure that the product was GDPR compliant from the day that that 
that hit. And so we had all the, the controls in the product to allow you to say, we want to lock this thing down even more strictly than it already is by default for GDPR purposes. And we want you to ask us every time we need to see user information, decrypt it with that end-to-end -end process that we talked about so that we can build an audit log and we have ticked all the boxes on GDPR. And of course you can remove user information if that becomes an issue. So all those things were there. Um, that's just kind of taken away those objections. And it, and it really comes down to getting on the phone with some of these customers and hearing those objections and telling them, you know, here's what we've done to, uh, to protect against what you're worried about and to give you that confidence that we are going to meet your level of compliance that you need. You talk about customers having kind of a moment of like, wow, like this, now I understand mm -hmm. this. Do you think that there was a moment in your career um, at Quantum or otherwise where you, you know, you really for the first time realized what your product did and the impact it could have? Yeah, it might've been, it might've been the first time I sat down with our, our founder in an interview. And I was one of those who didn't know there was such thing as session replay. Um, and that's, that's like an aha moment on, on understanding that exists. But then when I, when I got to the point of understanding the, what I explained earlier about the micro to macro and how you could pair analytics, which I knew about already from doing native app analytics and Google analytics over the years, when you could actually pair that with something that connects to the experience, um, it helps someone go from take what was always kind of like a, just an analytics number on a dashboard and see what is the experience impact behind that. Um, Cause I remember, I remember the days of being an engineering lead and just focusing on errors and logs and that sort of thing. Like we need to knock out the error that fires most often in our logs and being so uh, just naive to think that we should go after the things that happen most often instead of figuring out which things actually are costing us money and are costing us in good experience for the customer. And quantum was always about that. Like always focus on the things that actually impact the business and and maybe the other things can wait you know they're they're annoying you from maybe a technical standpoint operational standpoint but the customer doesn't know about it so focus on the things that matter yeah absolutely well i mean i have to say um, I bet several people who are listening will be going to Quantum's website to watch a demo because I think it's so much, it, it sounds so simple, right? Um, but as you've talked about, it's actually quite difficult, uh, especially, you know, the more, you know, customers you have, the larger you are, the more teams you have, right? I mean, there's so many things that contribute to the complexity and the possibility of it just being throw it over the throw it over the wall it's not my issue yeah. to solve yeah i talked to a, a two-time customer the other day who has who's bought quantum at one organization and he made a career move and bought it at the next one and he said and i'll buy it again at the next one because i i'm just blown away I, time and time again companies are building these products and they have no answer to do you know what the customer is experiencing, what are they struggling with? What is, uh, you know, what's the impact of some of these changes that we're rolling out the door? And it's just, it's it just becomes kind of an afterthought um, when you're mired in that day-to-day -day work and you're looking at traditional analytics products, you forget that there's an experience behind the whole thing, right? Absolutely. So when we speak to um, both, you know, kind of heads of product versus the founders, which we do a lot on this show, uh, we have a bit of a hypothesis that often it's the founders that 
are more kind of resonate with the heart versus, you know, the heads of product tend to resonate with the head. And what we mean by that is just that, you know, founders are crazy enough about a problem and solving that problem to build a whole business on it. Right. In your case, your founder, this is his what fourth, fourth attempt at seeing a problem, being crazy enough to build a solution around that. Um, but it's really interesting speaking to you because you you really seem to focus a lot on the, the user, right? And I identified more of that with the heart. Um, so tell me, are you head? Are you heart? Are you even split? <laughs> I, I probably do lean more towards the, the head and day to day. If you were working with me every day, you'd probably say, um, you know, he is very focused on executing these things, you know, um, going through the process and getting it done. But I, I feel like having anyone who's involved um, from start to finish, you can name anyone, um, having them not be in the loop on, on what you're trying to do for the customer is um, just missing an opportunity for another mind to, to contribute to this process. I think a lot of people think about engineers uh, in terms of like they're, they're mechanical, they wanna just you know, get their coding done and, and feel like they're building something cool. Um, but they do want to know uh, how does my work, why does my work matter, basically? Uh, what is it doing in the bigger picture? And when they do know that, all of a sudden you open up a whole another set of brains who can contribute to ideas on, well, we have this data available to us. Maybe you didn't know we had that. We can solve that problem you just mentioned with what we have. Um, so you're kind of missing that if you if you think of just product management as kind of the guardian of the customer. They'll just tell everyone what we're trying to do. And, and they've got it, like they've got it to make sure that we solve the customer problem. Uh, I think everyone should understand what the customer need is and what the customer problem is. And so that's the heart for me, you know, like that's, that's understanding why you're doing the work that you're doing. So maybe I am a good split, but I, I probably do in day to day lean towards like, let's get this stuff done so we can get it out and learn from it um, and iterate on it again. Yeah, you're rushing to get, not rushing, but you're, pacing to get through it because you care about the outcome, which is about the customer, right? And the response, right. the heart. Yeah. I just so, want to see it in their hands and, and learn from it, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think for many of our listeners, you'll be a really interesting profile because of your career being so engineering led. And then, you know, kind of at this point now being in a head of product role. And so I'd like to ask you what your advice is to other people who, you know, may either be ready to make that jump from the engineering side into more of the product leadership role or uh, flip side advice to anyone who's stepping into a head of product or CPO role, what would you share with them? Yeah, it's funny. There's, there's no degree for, for product leadership. You know, you, you come from some kind of background, some kind of other background. Usually you don't just typically jump from uh I was, you know, I, I went to school for product. I know there's like, there's courses for product and there's ways that you can certainly bolster your skills, but you're probably coming from engineering or design or marketing. Um, and I think regardless of where you come from, you got to have some sort of like entrepreneurial spirit in you. Cause I think the best people in product, they, they take a, they take a problem that they understand. They take on a product, they run with it. They make it their own. That's that entrepreneurial, like I own this and I want it to be the best thing for my customer. Um, and I, I think that back to that idea of just being able to step back and put yourself in the customer's shoes, that's like the most valuable thing that I've found uh, in this product flow is being able to drop all your preconceived notions 
and understand the problem and then look at what you're building and say, is this simple? Is it the right thing for the customer? Uh, that can take you so far. And obviously that other background you have, whether it's in engineering, design, marketing, you're going to add some very useful skew to what you're going to do in, in product. But if you can always think about from the customer's perspective, it really can take you a long way. Great advice. Okay. My favorite question of the show, we always ask it. So there is a museum dedicated to the most important products in the world. Let's say that's the case. All right. Um, what products should be in there and why? So product is a product is kind of a loaded term. Um, I'm going to say this might be cheating, but I'm going to say uh, shelter because <laughs> I was thinking recently I was in the Grand Canyon in the bottom of the Grand Canyon recently thinking, um, wow, if I didn't have a ride out of here, I would die here pretty quickly, you know? <laughs> and, and then in the wintertime here, you know, go out to shovel the driveway and forget my jacket. And I think I would die here really fast <laughs> if I didn't have my jacket. Um, but I think about, you know, shelter and certainly this gives me a heart for people that, that don't have it, but um, having a place that protects you from the elements, maybe that's a, an important product innovation that, that happened sometime way, way back in the past. Um, the, the printing press for me also, um, I, I think about um, product innovations that you can't really reduce to something simpler that can do the same job. Um, and printing press was you know, the way that we started to disseminate information um, in a way that was scalable instead of someone needing to, to copy it by hand. You know? And so the way that that just started to spread information, think about it being really valuable. And then I would be remiss if I didn't say the computer, <laughs> you know, it's, it's certainly been my career, but I, I just see it. I mean, everything is, is driven by a computer these days. Right. And so society just revolves around as ways to, to communicate and, and move around information and grow as a society, but it's also just keeping the lights on, you know, so I think it's just super important product. That's right. Keeping the lights on and those maintenance products, we can't forget about them. Right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, it's been so lovely to have you. Uh, I will personally be checking out Quantum for my team. I'm not joking. Um, and uh, thanks for telling us a little bit about what you're doing there. And we look forward to watching your journey as you continue. Thanks, Tiana. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the product-led audience. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart of product.